Some men were working on a construction site at a university campus. You may have heard this story before. And they uncovered an underground power cable. So they were a little concerned about that. And they called in the maintenance crew just to find out if this was okay to cut or not. And an electrician arrived and he looked it over and he said, yeah, that, that's dead. You can just go ahead and cut it away. And then they said, are you sure? And he said, oh yeah, I'm sure. And then they passed the sh cutters to him. And they said, if you're so sure, you go ahead and cut that wire. And then there's a smile on his face. Oh, maybe I'm not that sure. How certain are you that you will go to heaven when you die? Is that a hope that you state just to comfort others? Or is it something that you want to stake your life on? And, and that's a critical question, because in order to be reasonably confident in the present, we have to be confident about the future. We have to have a realistic hope about it. Let's say you happen to be on a cruise ship, and it was taken over by some terrorists, and they joyfully tell the passengers that they are going to run the ship at full speed, and they are going to just barge into the closest major port, which is two days away. If you hear that, you're not going to be gorging yourself at all the, the buffets, all the all-you-can-eat buffets. You're not going to be enjoying the entertainment and laughing at it. Your mind is just going to be consumed with your impending doom. And that trip just wouldn't have any joy unless the ship's captains and crew were able to get control of that ship back once again. Then you would have joy. Then you would be assured of a safe arrival. The Bible says this in 1 Corinthians fifteen nineteen: If our hope in Christ is for this life only, we should be pitied more than anyone else in the world. But then look what 1 Peter Chapter 3 says, or chapter 1, verse 3, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In God's great mercy, He has caused us to be born again into a living hope because Jesus Christ rose from the dead. Now we hope for the blessings God has for His children. These blessings, which cannot be destroyed or be spoiled or lose their beauty, are kept in heaven for you. So the Christian's belief in heaven isn't just some comfort thing to take us through a critical illness toward death. It's an essential living hope. It's the insurance that one day we will be on a journey and we will end up in a safe, a welcoming, and a beautiful harbor. And when we realize that, it makes every day more meaningful. That's why Jesus said, I have come that you may have life and that you may have it to the full. So the scripture we're looking at today is 2 Corinthians chapter 5, the first 10 verses. And this is where the Apostle Paul is talking about giving some assurance to these people. Assurance that we will go to heaven when we die. And we're looking through chapters 3 to 5. We're actually going through verse by verse. And we're looking for ways in which we can be confident in uncertain times. And the most uncertain thing about the present is that so many people don't know where they're going to end up. They don't know what their future is. They have no future assurance. So let's read through this chapter 
And notice three phrases that actually should enhance our confidence for living in uncertain times. And the first phrase is in the first verse. We know that our body, the tent we live in here on earth, will be destroyed. But when that happens, God will have a house for us. It will not be a house made by human hands. Instead, it will be a home in heaven that will last forever. So we know that when this life is over, that we have something better. A better life is waiting for us. Paul was actually a tent maker by trade. And he is now comparing our bodies to tents. And if you've ever gone camping, you know that a tent is a temporary dwelling. People enjoy camping out on occasion, but it's not something that you want to do permanently. It's uncomfortable. The bugs are in the air. The air keeps coming out of your mattress at night. You don't have all the amenities that you do at home. A tent is an insecure structure. It's vulnerable to collapse by high winds and intrusion by the visiting animals. But it's fun to do for a weekend with your kids in the summer. Then any time we hear of a tragic accident where a life was lost, we're reminded of how this tent that we live in it is so fragile. It can so quickly be destroyed. So look at verse 2. Now we groan in this tent. We want God to give us our heavenly home. And life has some accelerating moments to it. We get our license. We find that one that we want to marry. And then we have children. And then we have grandchildren. Maybe it's finding that church that you've been looking for. It's coming to know Christ in the first place. There are many different accelerating moments in our lives. But there's a tendency, the older we get, the fewer joys and the more numerous are the burdens. And eventually you begin to think to yourself, I wouldn't mind getting out of this tent altogether. Now my great-grandmother lived to be 102, and from the time she was 95, she thought God forgot her. And she was always praying, God, don't let me wake up tomorrow morning. And she always prayed for our family meals. And the prayers were long enough to begin with, But then she starts adding in the request for God to take her in her sleep. And eventually my grandfather had to take over praying because great-grandma was just out of control. And we run into a lot of people like that. People who are Christians, they lived a long life, and they just wish that that tent would collapse and they could go home to be with our Lord and our Savior. Paul assures his readers that the life God has in store for us in heaven is much better than this life. And he actually contrasts those in the first few verses. This life is earthly. The second life is heavenly. This life is a tent. The next one he describes as a building. This life is mortal that can be destroyed. The next life is immortal and it's eternal. It's indestructible. This life is full of burdens and groanings, but the next life, it's full of joy. And I like the way that the message paraphrases these two verses. Now, this is a paraphrase, so don't get all over me about funny words they use here. But it's just to help us understand it a little. We know that when these bodies of ours are taken down like tents and folded away, they will be replaced by resurrection bodies in heaven, God-made, not handmade, 
and we'll never have to relocate our tents again. Sometimes we can hardly wait to move and we cry out in frustration. Compared to what's coming, living conditions around here seem like a stopover in an unfurnished shack and we're tired of it. I told this story before about a pastor, <coughs> excuse me, by the name of Glenn Wheeler. And he probably isn't alive now, but several years after his wife died, someone was talking to him and he was reminiscing about life with her. And he said, I remember after church ended on Sunday and everybody was out of the building and we would turn off the lights, lock the building, and then walk to our car. And she would always put her arm in mine and she would say, Glenn, you're a good man. You know, I'd love to hear that again. I'd just love to hear that once and then he said, there's something else that I really liked, and that was her cooking. And after we had eaten a delicious meal, she would come and she would take our dinner plates away. But then she would say, keep your fork, Glenn. And I knew the best was yet to come because she could make some wonderful desserts. And then he went on to say, you know, sometimes late at night when I'm lying there and I miss her, and tears start to come, it's almost as if I can hear the Lord saying, keep your fork, Glenn, hold on, the best is yet to come. Now these two verses aren't on your slides, verses 3 and 4. But Paul went on to say, for we will put on heavenly bodies. We will not be spirits without bodies. While we live in these earthly bodies, we groan and sigh. But it's not that we want to die and get rid of these bodies that clothe us. Rather, we want to put on our new bodies so that these dying bodies will be swallowed up by life. Now, there's so much speculation about what is going to happen in the life beyond this one. But the hope of the Christian isn't based on speculation of our fellow humans. It's based on the demonstration of God. And in John chapter 14, verses 1 to 3, Jesus said, don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God and trust in me. There are many rooms in my Father's house. I would not tell you this if it were not true. And I am going there to prepare a place for you. And after I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me so that you can be where I am. We believe in the historical reality of the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And there is amazing evidence to support that as fact. And we're promised that Jesus is the example of what's going to happen to us. So remember that verse 1 says that we live in an earthly tent that will be actually destroyed, but we have a home in heaven that will last forever. The second phrase is in verse 5. Now the one who has fashioned us for this very purpose is God who has given us the Spirit as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. So we are guaranteed what is to come by deposit of the Holy Spirit. Now we have an annual weekend family camp in the Maritime churches called Maritime Christian Fellowship. And the people that organize that have discovered that if we get people to pay a registration fee as a down payment towards their food and their accommodations, they are actually more likely to show up. They will respond because that guarantee is there for them. 
15 to 20 of the families here in our church understand the deposit in a different way because you have all bought new homes this year. And a deposit is part of that process. God has made a deposit of His Holy Spirit in us as a guarantee that He's going to fulfill His promise that the best is yet to come. And that word translated deposit actually also means engagement ring. So the church is often compared to the bride of Christ, and the church is engaged to Jesus Christ, and we're waiting for him to take us to the wedding. And he will follow through, he will keep that promise, and he won't leave us there at the altar. Paul wrote this in Romans 8, 11. God raised Jesus from the dead, and if God's Spirit is living in you, he will also give life to your bodies that die. God is the one who raised Christ from the dead, and he will give life through his Spirit that lives in you. So here are three questions by which you can determine whether you have the Holy Spirit or not. Have you put your trust in Christ and obeyed his commands? In Acts 2.38, Paul, excuse me, Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So when you gave your life to Jesus Christ, when you repented of the sin in your life, and when you were baptized into Him, you received the Holy Spirit, the gift of the Holy Spirit. Maybe you felt ecstatic at that time. Maybe you didn't feel much of anything. And that will vary according to background and age and temperament and understanding. But just as you were married, as you walked down that aisle after a wedding ceremony, whether you feel married or not, so you are granted the Holy Spirit whether you feel Him or not. The second question is, is the fruit of the Spirit growing in your life? Jesus said, by their fruit you will know them. And the Bible lists the fruit of the Spirit. It's love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. If those things are growing in your life, then that is evidence that the Holy Spirit is at work in you. But if you're becoming more self-centered, if you're becoming more sinful, if you're becoming more cantankerous as you grow older, then perhaps the Holy Spirit isn't living in you and you need to be born again. But the fruit of, if the fruit of the Spirit is growing in your life, then you have received God's guarantee of eternal life. And then the third question is, are you sensitive to spiritual stimuli? So we're now in verse 12. Now, we did not receive the Spirit of the world, but we received the Spirit that is from God so that we can know all that God has given us. A person who does not have the Spirit does not accept the truths that come from the Spirit of God. The person thinks they are foolish and cannot understand them because they can only be judged to be true by the Spirit. So if a person never wants to come to church, if they have no desire to sing songs of praise, if they have no hunger for prayer, if they get turned off when other people talk about spiritual things, then that is evidence that the Holy Spirit doesn't dwell in them. It's as if the Spirit of God whets our appetite by giving us just a little taste of what's ahead. He, one guy said he puts a little bit of heaven into our hearts so that we'll never settle for less. 
And Jesus promised that the Holy Spirit is our guarantee. The third phrase is in verses 6 and 8. So we are always confident, even though we know that as long as we live in these bodies, we are not at home with the Lord. Yes, we are fully confident, and we would rather be away from these earthly bodies, for then we will be at home with the Lord. So we are confident that when we die, we go immediately into God's presence. Five years ago, I had colorectal cancer surgery, and it was frightening enough being told that I had cancer, but then being told that they were going to cut into my body. But the doctor explained what was going to happen. She told me how I would feel. She told me what the worst-case scenarios were, the possible side effects. And by the way, I had all those possible side effects, but the good news was cancer was contained in the tumor and there was no spread. But I was a horrible patient. I visited so many people in the hospital. I thought I'd know how to be the greatest patient in the world. But I couldn't get comfortable in the bed. Only this male nurse that I had and my oldest daughter, Brittany, could get me comfortable with those pillows. And then I was pushing that button a little too much for the pain, and I, I think I was getting addicted to the drug that I was on. And there were just all kinds of issues. The bugs were in my bed at night. And I had the nurse come in, get up. She changed my bed. No, there are no bugs there, sir. But the information that the doctor gave to me ahead of time helped calm me down because I knew what I had not yet experienced. None of us have experienced death, but the great physician who knows all things has given us some advanced information that will help eliminate that fear and instill confidence in us. So look at what happens when we die. But some of this is not such good news because, first of all, there is a gradual deterioration of the body. In the passage James used last week, he talked about the fact that we are outwardly wasting away. So sometimes this tent that we live in is destroyed immediately by a catastrophe, but then other times it just slowly starts to die and not function as well. And it's a gradual, gentle reminder from God that death is approaching, where he's saying, get ready to move out of this tent and move on into another dimension. Then comes the time for the departure of the Spirit. Verse 8 speaks about being absent from our bodies. And there's a sense in which you're looking at me here this morning, but you, you don't see me. You see this shell that I've been given, but you don't see the real me. And when I look at you, I don't see the real you. I see that shell, that body that God has given to you. So there's a spirit inside each of us that continues to be us. And when the body finally ceases to live, the spirit quietly, gently departs from the body and moves on into eternity. But it doesn't cease to exist. I've been with several people when they've taken their last breath. And there's been quite a range from people that have been struggling for years with an illness and struggling to breathe. But then the opposite of that was Fred. He was a quiet, gentle man with a deteriorating heart, and he just grew weaker and weaker. And I went to visit him in the ICU, and the nurse said, no, he's 100% alert, 
and 100% pain-free. And I don't usually ask people, how are you doing? But I did. I said, how are you doing, Fred? And he said, I'm pretty weak. And then we just talked briefly, and I said, look, I, I'm not going to tire you out. I, I want you to just uh, close your eyes, and, and I'm going to pray. And then in that prayer, I incorporated the Lord's Prayer, and I, I said amen and opened my eyes, but Fred didn't open his eyes. And the nurse was there, and she said, I was watching during your prayer and realized that he was fading, and I was going to interrupt you, but then... She said, I thought it was so appropriate that he would go that way. And isn't that amazing? Like, I've had people fall asleep on me during my prayers and my sermons, but never has anybody died uh, until this time. So where did Fred go? His body was still there, but he was absent from the body. The body takes the form of a person, but it isn't the real person. And then we go on to the immediate presence with God. Remember verse 8? Yes, we are fully confident, and we would rather be away from these earthly bodies, for then we will return to the Lord. See, there are only two stages for the Christian. In this body or this temple, or out of this body or this temple. And the Bible doesn't teach reincarnation, It doesn't teach anything about purgatory. It teaches that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And Jesus said to the thief on the cross, he said, today you are going to be with me in paradise. Now a pastor was trying to comfort his wife as she was dying of cancer, and she asked, what will it be like to die? And he said, all the years of study that I've done in my doctorate and in my pastoral training didn't prepare me to answer such a deep personal question. So he said, honey, I'm not exactly sure what that moment will be like, but I know this for sure. I'm going to hold your hand here on this side until Jesus takes your hand on the other side. King David said, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. And then there is the granting of a glorified, resurrected body at the second coming. So we're back in verse 3. For we will put on heavenly bodies. We will not be spirits without bodies. Now I take this to mean that we aren't going to spend eternity floating around like disembodied spirits. We are going to be given some type of eternal body. Our spirit departs from our body and we will immediately be in the joyous presence of Christ. But that's not our final perfect existence just yet. And if you're having a party sometime when we're allowed to, and you're looking for some entertainment, I'll come and I'll share what the Bible says about exactly what goes on during that time period. But when Jesus returns for his second coming, that's when we're going to be given a new glorified body. So listen to it here, and you can read with me in 1 Corinthians 15. But look, I tell you this secret. We will not all sleep in death, but we'll all be changed. It will only take a second, as quickly as an eye blinks, when the last trumpet sounds. The trumpet will sound, and those who have died will be raised to live forever, and we will all be changed. The body that can be destroyed must clothe itself with something that can never be destroyed. And this body that dies must clothe itself with something that can never die. 
So this body can be destroyed, that can be destroyed, will clothe itself with that which... Oh, my eyes are getting blurry here. So that body, you might be getting this a second time, that can be destroyed, will clothe itself with that which can never be destroyed. And this body that dies will clothe itself with that which can never die. And when this happens, this scripture will be made true. Death is destroyed forever in victory. That's great news. We're going to have glorified, new, resurrected, eternal bodies. There won't be any wrinkles. There won't be any pain. There won't be any uh, fading hair. There'll be no weariness. There'll be none of that at all. And the next step is the judgment of our works. And this is in verses 9 and 10. So we make it our goal to please him, whether we are at home in the body or away from it. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each of us may receive what is due us for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. And the word for judgment seat comes from the Greek word bima, and it also means the platform on which people would stand in order to make speeches or in order to deliver decisions that have been made by rulers. And it was also the place in which Awards were presented to the winners of the Olympic Games. And that's right, 1950-odd years ago, they had the Olympic Games. And since Jesus' death forgives all our sins, the judgment seat of Christ will be an award ceremony for the Christians because we will then receive our honor for service. And that's why we make it our goal to please him, not just to earn salvation, but to receive his commendation. In 1 Corinthians 3.13, their work will be clearly seen because the day of judgment will make it visible. At a graduation, when you attend a graduation ceremony, everybody graduates. They all receive that certificate. But then there are a few that receive special recognition for extra accomplishment. And on judgment day, everybody in Christ will be saved, but there will be some special Awards handed out to those whose service has kind of gone beyond everyone else. And then the final step is perfection in heaven. And the Bible doesn't give us a lot of detail about what heaven is going to be like. We read about streets of gold, that there will be gates of pearl, that walls of jasper, there will be no tears, no pain, no sorrow. But other than telling us that heaven is going to be so much better than the life that we're now living we don't get a lot of information about it. And you know something? Maybe if we were given too much information, we'd be thinking about heaven too much of the time, and we wouldn't be of much use here. We'd lose our incentive for living here on this earth. Hebrews 11.1 Faith means being sure of the things we hope for and knowing something is real even if we do not see it. Jesus Freaks was actually the name of a book that was written back in 1999 by DC Talk and Voice of the Martyrs Mission. And it relates up-to-date stories of Christians who've died courageously for the gospel. And it tells us how during the Vietnam War, the Cambodian communist soldiers had rounded up Haim's family for execution because they were Christians. And the communists considered them bad blood and enemies of the glorious revolution. 
And in the morning they were forced to dig their own mass grave, but the killers were generous to them, and they allowed them a moment of prayer. So the family got down on their knees in a circle together around that grave. They held hands, and they were praying. And Hayim was praying for the soldiers. He was praying that they would repent and that they would find Christ. But as the family was kneeling down, one son just took off and headed into the forest, and he got away from the soldiers. And Hayim somehow remained calm enough to talk to the soldiers and get them to not run after his son. And he said, I'll call him and get him back to us. So this is what he did. He just shouted out, Think, my son! Can stealing a few more hours in that forest be better than dying here with your family and then knowing that we will go on to this incredible eternity where we will be free forever in paradise? And weeping, the boy walked back. And Haim said to their captors, he said, now we are ready. But none of those guys could kill them based on what they had just seen. But finally, an officer who hadn't witnessed what had taken place came along and he shot the Christians. The Christian can live life confidently each day, unafraid of death, because Christ has conquered the last enemy. And the best is yet to come. And we know that this earthly tent we live in is going to be destroyed. But when it is, we have this amazing eternal building that we will be moving into. And that is in heaven with God. And the guarantee of what's to come is the deposit of the Holy Spirit in each of our lives. And then we are confident that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. But this promise is available only to those who are in a relationship with Jesus Christ. And if you aren't in a relationship with Him, if you want to understand what His forgiveness is, what His promises are all about, what His assurances are, then you need to make Him the Lord and Savior of your life. Talk to us, and we will guide you through that process of having the type of faith that Haim and his family had.